It's All Hallows' Eve, the night when the veil is thin. And those on the other side have great and terrible powers, and the rules that guide the use of those powers are beyond our comprehension. It's nearly impossible to know for certain what will gain their favor, nor what will invoke their wrath. And as such, all we can do is try to avoid offending them, which is why for generations we have called them the good people, or the fair folk, or more commonly, the fairies. So tonight, in honor of our yearly gathering with our fairest of neighbors, I thought it would be fitting if I told you the story of one particular Irishman who came in contact with the people on the other side of the veil, and the life-changing consequences that followed. This is the story of T. O'Kane. There was once a lad in County Letchram called T. O'Kane. His father, a rich farmer, had no other children, and he loved T. so much that he allowed him to do everything just as it pleased him. Accordingly, when the boy grew up, he liked sport better than work. He was very extravagant and seldom found at home. But if there was a fair or a race or any kind of gathering within 10 miles of him, you were dead certain to find him there. It's many the kiss he got and he gave, for he was very handsome. And there wasn't a girl in the country who, when he fastened his two eyes on her, would not fall in love with him. At last, T became wild and unruly. He wasn't to be seen day or night in his father's house, but was always rambling from place to place and from house to house, gambling and card playing and drinking. The old people shook their heads and said, It's easy to see what will happen when the old man dies. His son will run through it in a year. But despite this, T's father never minded his bad habits and never punished him. But then, one day, the old man was told that his son had ruined the character of a girl called Mary, and he was greatly angry. He called T to him, and he said to him, quietly and sensibly, Son, you know I loved you greatly up to this. I've never stopped you doing whatever you chose. I gave you plenty of money, and I always hoped to leave you this house and land and all I had after myself would be gone. But I heard the story of you today that had disgusted me with you. I cannot tell you the grief that I felt when I heard such a thing of you, and I tell you now plainly that unless you marry that girl, I'll leave the house and land and everything to my brother's son. I could never leave it to anyone who would make so bad a use of it as you do yourself, deceiving women and coaxing girls. Settle yourself now whether you'll marry that girl and get my land as a fortune with her, or refuse to marry her and give up all that was coming to you. And tell me in the morning which of the two things you have chosen. And with that, he left before T could make a reply. Oi, T called out after him. Who told you I wouldn't marry the girl? But his father was gone. And the lad knew well enough that he would keep his word too. For as quiet and as kind as the father was, he never went back on a word once he had said it. The boy did not rightly know what to do. He was in fact in love with Mary, and he hoped to marry her sometime or other, but he would much rather have remained another while he was drinking, sporting, and playing cards. And on top of that, he was angry that his father should order him to marry, and should threaten him if he did not do it. Isn't my father a great fool, he said to himself. 
I was ready enough and only too anxious to wed Mary. And now since he threatened me, I have a great mind to let it go another while. He walked into the night at last to cool his heated blood. He lit a pipe, and as the night was fine, he walked and walked along the road until the quick pace made him begin to forget his trouble. The night was bright and the moon half full. There was not a breath of wind blowing, and the air was calm and mild. Before he realized it, he had walked on for nearly three hours, and it was late into the night. But no sooner had he turned to head homeward than he heard the sound of voices and the trampling of feet coming towards him along the road. I do not know who could be out so late at night and on such a lonely road, said T to himself. He stopped to listen, and he heard the voices of many people talking to each other but he could not understand what they were saying. It's not Irish or English that they're speaking, he said. And it can't be that they're Frenchmen. He went on a couple yards further, and he saw well enough by the light of the moon a band of little people coming towards him, carrying something big and heavy with them. Oh, he said, it's the good people themselves. Every strand of hair on his head stood up for he saw that they were coming towards him fast despite their heavy load. And as they approached, he perceived that there were twenty little men in all, not a man of them higher than about three feet. But he could not make out what the heavy thing was that they were carrying until they reached him and stopped to stand in front of him. Then they threw the heavy thing down on the road, and he saw on the spot that it was a dead body. He became cold then and there was not a drop of blood in his veins when one of the little men, old and gray, came up to him and said, Isn't it lucky we met you, T. O'Kane? Poor T. could not have uttered a word at all, even if his life had depended on it, and so he gave no answer. T. O'Kane, said the little man again, isn't it timely that you met us? But still, T. could not answer him. T. O'Kane, said he, for the third time, isn't it lucky and timely that we met each other? But T remained silent, for his tongue felt as if it had been tied to the roof of his mouth. The little gray man turned to his companions, and there was joy in his bright little eye. And now, said he, T. O'Kane hasn't said a word, and so we can do with him as we please. T, he said, you're living a bad life. You've offended your father and jilted a girl who loves you. You are not unlike our man here, in fact, who lived a bad enough life himself, he said, gesturing at the corpse that lay on the ground. But it just so happens we have a job to do tonight, and you're the man to help us with it. Now, lift that corpse. T was frightened, but he was also obstinate as ever. I won't, he said. T. O'Kane won't lift the corpse, said the little man with a wicked laugh, like the striking of a cracked bell. Make him lift it. Almost before the words were out of his mouth, all the little men came running towards T, talking and laughing all the while. T tried to run from them, but they followed him, and one stretched out his foot before T as he ran, so that he was thrown in a heap on the road. Then, before he could rise up, the fairies caught him, some by the hands and some by the feet, and they held him tight with his face against the ground. He felt them laying something heavy across his back and throwing something around his neck. Then they stood back from him, letting him get up. He rose, 
foaming at the mouth and cursing. But his fear and wonder were great when he found that the things wound tight around his neck were a pair of bony, cold arms, and the thing hanging off his back was the corpse itself. He shook himself and pried at the arms that were squeezing his neck. But however strongly he tried, he could not throw it off, any more than a horse could throw off its saddle. He was terribly frightened then, and he thought he was lost. Oh, he said to himself, it's the bad life I'm leading that has given the good people this power over me. The little gray man came up to him again and said, Now, T, you didn't lift the body when I told you to lift it, and see how you were made to lift it? Perhaps when I tell you to bury it, you won't bury it until you are made to bury it. Anything at all I can do for your honor, said T. I will do it. For he was getting some sense now. The little man laughed his harsh laugh again. You're getting quiet now, T, said he. I'll wager you'll be quiet enough before I'm done with you. Listen to me now. If you don't obey me in all that I'm telling you, you'll repent it. You must carry this corpse that is on your back to the church of Temple Demas, and you must bring it into the church with you and make a grave for it in the very middle of the church. You must raise up the flagstones and dig to the grave and put them down again in the very same way and leave the place as it was when you came. But that's not all. Maybe the body won't be allowed to be buried in that church. Perhaps some other man has the bed, and if so, it's likely he won't share it with this one. If you do not get leave to bury it in Temple Demas, you must carry it to Carrick and bury it there. And if you don't get into that place, take it with you to Temple Ronan. And if that place is closed to you, you've no more to do than take it to Kill Bridia, and you can bury it there without hindrance. I cannot tell you which of those places is the one where you will have leave to bury that corpse under the clay but I know that it will be one or another of them. If you do this work rightly, we will be thankful to you, and you will have no cause to grieve. But if you are slow or lazy, believe me, we will take satisfaction of you. When the little gray man finished speaking, his comrades laughed and clapped their hands together. Go on, they all cried. You have eight hours till daybreak, and if you haven't buried this man before the sun rises... You're lost. Then they struck at him with a fist and a foot and drove him hard down the road. Hours later, it seemed, T was still walking. And he thought to himself that there was not a wet path or a crooked contrary road in the whole country that he had not walked that night. It was very dark. But sometimes the moon would break out clearly. And then he would look behind him and see the little people following at his back talking amongst themselves in their strange language. At last, one of them cried out to him, Stop here! He stood, and they all gathered around him. Do you see those withered trees over there? The little gray man said. Temple Demas is among those trees. You must go on by yourself, for we cannot follow you there. Go on, boldly. T looked and saw an old gray church with a dozen withered old trees scattered here and there around it. The old gate to the churchyard was thrown down, and he had no difficulty in entering. He turned then to see if any of the little people were following him, but there came a cloud over the moon, 
and the night became so dark that he couldn't see anything. So he went into the churchyard and walked up the old grassy pathway leading to the church. But when he reached the door, he found it locked. Well, he said to himself, I have no more to do. The door is shut and I can't open it. Before those words were even shaped in his mind, a voice in his ear said to him, Search for the key on the top of the door. Startled, he turned around. Who is that speaking to me? He cried. But he saw no one. The voice said in his ear again, Search for the key on the top of the door. What's that? said he, the sweat running from his forehead. Who spoke to me? It's I, the corpse that spoke to you, said the voice. Can you talk? said T. Now and again, said the corpse. With a trembling hand, T searched for the key, and he found it on the top of the door. He was too frightened to say anything else as he opened the door wide and went in with the corpse on his back. It was pitch black inside. Light a candle, said the corpse. T drew flint steel and an old burnt rag out of his pockets. He struck a spark and lit the rag and blew onto it until it made a flame. And he could see now that the church was very ancient. The windows were blown in or cracked, and the timber of the seats was rotten. There were six or seven old iron candlesticks left there. And in one of these candlesticks, T found the stump of an old candle, and he lit it with the burning rag. He was still looking around at the strange, horrid place when the corpse whispered in his ear, Bury me now! Bury me now! There's a spade to turn the ground right there. T looked and saw a spade lying beside the altar. He took it, placed the blade under the flagstone that was in the middle of the aisle, and, leaning all his weight on the handle, he raised the flagstone. When the first was raised, it wasn't hard to raise the others near it, and he moved three of them out of their places. The clay that was under them was soft and easy to dig, but he had not thrown up more than three shovelfuls when he felt the iron touch something softer than clay. He dug three or four more shovelfuls, and then he saw that it was another body that was buried in the same place. I'm afraid I'll never be allowed to bury the two bodies in the same hole, said T. You corpse, there on my back, will you be satisfied if I bury you down there? But the corpse didn't answer him a word. That's a good sign, said T to himself. Maybe he's getting quiet and he thrust the spade down into the earth again. Perhaps he had hurt the flesh of the other body, for the dead man that was buried there stood up in the grave and shouted an awful shout, Go! 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 Or you're a dead, dead, dead man! And then the body fell back into the grave again. T's hair stood upright on his head like the bristles of a pig. The cold sweat ran down off his face, and there came a tremor all over his bones. But when he saw the second corpse lay quietly again, he became bolder, and he hurried to throw the clay back over it and lay the flags carefully as they had been before. It can't be that he'll rise up any more, he said to himself. He went down the aisle a little farther, and he began raising the flags again, looking for another bed for the corpse on his back. But he hadn't been digging very long before he laid bare an old woman. She was more lively than the first corpse, for she had scarcely taken any clay away from about her when she sat up and began to cry, Oh, you clown! 
Where has he been that he got no bed? Poor T drew back, and when she found she was getting no answer, she closed her eyes gently and fell back quietly and slowly under the clay. Quickly, T threw the clay back on her and put the flags down on top. He moved down the aisle again and began to dig a third time. But before he had thrown up more than a couple shovelfuls, he noticed a man's hand laid bare by the spade. By my soul, I will go no farther, he said to himself. And he threw the clay back down and settled the flags as they had been before. He left the church then, his heart heavy, but he remembered to shut the door, lock it, and leave the key where he'd found it on top of the door. Then he was in great doubt as to what he should do next. He laid his face between his two hands and cried for grief and fatigue, for he was certain he would never come home alive. He then made another attempt to loosen the hands of the corpse that were squeezed around his neck. But the more he tried to loosen them, the tighter they squeezed. Then the cold, horrid lips of the dead man whispered in his ear, Carrick! And he remembered the command of the good people to bring the corpse there if he was unable to bury it in the first place. He rose up and looked about him. I don't know the way, he said. As soon as he uttered the words, the corpse stretched out its left hand and pointed to show him the road that he ought to follow. T went in the direction that the fingers were stretched. He passed out of the churchyard and followed an old, ruddy, stony road. And when he came to a path or road meeting it, the corpse always stretched out its bony hand and pointed, showing him the way. At last, he saw an old burying ground next to the road. There was neither church, nor chapel, nor any other building near it. The corpse squeezed him tightly and said, Bury me! Bury me in the burying ground! T stumbled towards the old burying ground, and he was not more than twenty yards from it when, raising his eyes, he saw hundreds and hundreds of ghosts. Men, women, and children, sitting on top of the wall, standing at the gate, and running backwards and forwards inside. They were all pointing at him, and he could see their mouths opening and shutting as if they were speaking, though he heard no words. He was too afraid to go forward, so he stood as he was, and the moment he stood, all the ghosts became quiet and ceased moving. He walked a couple yards forward. And immediately, the whole crowd rushed together towards the gate and stood so thickly together that he could never break through them, even if he had a mind to try, but he had no mind to try. He went back to the road, broken and dispirited, and then he stopped, for he did not know which way he was to go. But the corpse whispered, Temple Ronin, and the skinny hand stretched out again, pointing down the road. As tired as he was, T had nothing to do but walk. The road was neither short nor even. The night was darker than ever, and it was difficult to make his way. Many times he stumbled and fell, and many were the bruises he got. But at last he saw Temple Ronin in the distance, a crumbling church standing in the middle of a burying ground. He trudged towards it, and as he got near, he saw no ghosts at the gate. So he thought he was all right and safe. But as he was passing through it, he tripped on the threshold. And before he could recover himself, something that he could not see seized him by the neck, by the hands, and by the feet. And it bruised him and shook him and choked him 
until he was nearly dead. And at last, he was lifted up and carried more than a hundred yards from that place and then thrown down in an old ditch with the corpse still clinging to him. As he lay there, bruised and sore, the corpse said in his ear, Kill Bredia. So T rose up, and he went on in the direction the corpse pointed out to him. The wind was cold, the road was bad, and the load upon his back was heavy. He could not have told how long he had been going when the dead man suddenly squeezed him and said, There! Bury me there! This is the last burying place, said T. And the little man said, I'd be allowed to bury you in one of them. It must be this one. The first faint streak of morning was appearing in the east, but it was darker than ever, for the moon was set and there were no stars. Make haste, make haste, said the corpse. T hurried forward towards the graveyard, which was a little place on a bare hill with only a few graves in it. He walked boldly in through the open gate and nothing touched him. Then he looked around for a spade or a shovel to make a grave, but instead he saw something that startled him. A newly dug grave lay right before him. He looked down into it, and there, at the bottom, he saw a black coffin. He clambered down into the hole and lifted the lid, and inside he found that the coffin was empty. He had hardly done this when the corpse, which had clung to him for more than eight hours, suddenly relaxed its hold on his neck and sank softly into the open coffin. T made no delay then. He pressed the coffin lid down into its place and scrambled up out of the grave. Having no shovel, he threw the clay over it with his two hands, and when the grave was filled up, he stamped and leaped upon it until it was firm and hard. And then he left the place. The sun was rising fast, and he set out as quickly as his weary legs could carry him along the road. At last he found an inn where he dearly would have liked to take a rest, but he knew that his father and Mary were waiting for him to give his answer that very morning. So instead, he hired a horse and rode home. He had found that he was more than 26 miles from home, and he had come all that way with a dead body on his back in one night. T was not a fortnight at home before he wed Mary. And he was a happy man from that day forwards. He never drank too much, he never lost his money over cards, and most especially, he would not for the world be out late by himself in the dark of night. Happy Halloween. Bye -bye.